Welcome to We Are Scared, the podcast where we dissect and dismember your favorite horror movies. My name is Annika and I am here to give you a plot summary slash synopsis. I remember at some point in high school being explained the difference, but I could not tell you now. But it's definitely a synopsis of Friday the 13th. I am recording this in Kiara's apartment at approximately or exactly 10.34 p.m. in the hours before it needs to be released. So this isn't going to be the beautiful, succinct, and eloquent piece of art that I imagined it to be originally. I'm going to be heavily paraphrasing from the horror film wiki's plot synopsis of Friday the 13th. So I would like to thank the creators there. This does not attribute anyone specific. Friday the 13th is a movie that I, in preparation for leading the conversation about it, probably watched it four times, maybe. Yeah, three or four times. And it is a movie that you should, under no circumstance, watch more than once every year. I did plan on rewatching it in order to be properly prepared to tell you what happens in it, but I just simply, I simply haven't the emotional capacity to handle having to go through this again. The story begins at Camp Crystal Lake, which is a summer camp for children, uh, about like elementary school to early middle school kind and their counselors are all teenagers. So we are taken to the summer camp on Friday, June 13th, 1958. It is nighttime and we are looking through the eyes of an unknown person. We watch as two teenage counselors sneak away from a campfire sing-along to have sex in a nearby barn. You weren't supposed to do that in the 50s. The two counselors, named Barry and Claudette, are surprised by the unknown person because they're having sex. They don't expect... Okay, so this isn't sharing this information, but they choose to have sex in like an attic area. That's what my memory is telling me. And they are hooking up and someone comes up the stairs into the attic and they're obviously alarmed. They're alarmed by it. And so one of them says something stupid. The boy says something like, we weren't doing anything. We were just messing around. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to that effect. Okay. So Barry and Claudette having sex, someone walks up the stairs. Claudette tries to run away, but she is cornered and murdered. Right before that happened, Barry was also murdered. 22 years later, after this murder in 1980, so the camp has shut down, obviously, because that was a little bit traumatic. But 22 years later, enough people had forgotten, I guess. In 1980, the camp is being reopened. It's being reopened by a man named Steve Christie. So he is reopening this camp and He's doing everything himself. He has roots here. I think he might have grown up here, but he has since moved away. So none of the camp counselors that we are going to meet are directly local to this area. None of them really know in depth the lore of this space. Steve Christie might, but I don't think he really, I don't think that he really does. One of his newly hired counselors, her name is Annie, is hitchhiking to Camp Crystal Lake. 
she manages to hitch a ride. Okay. She, this is so, this isn't including any of my favorite details. Okay. So Annie is getting to Camp Crystal Lake. She gets dropped off by a bus or something in the town nearby Camp Crystal Lake. She might have been hitchhiking. I'm not sure. I don't quite remember. She walks into this diner and is like, hey, is anyone driving out to Camp Crystal Lake who can give me a ride? And everyone just snaps to her shocked. And someone says something like, Camp Blood. They all call it Camp Blood. And they're like, they're reopening that place. Everyone's really freaked out. And she's just like bopping along. One of the guys says that he'll bring her to Camp Blood, to Camp Crystal Lake. And as they're leaving to get in the car, a man named Ralph, who's the town crazy. I think they call him the town crazy. He comes up to them and he says, he says something about like how they shouldn't, she shouldn't be going to Camp Blood because she's going to die. And the man who's giving Annie a ride says, God damn it, Ralph, shut up. (laughs) Annie is being driven to Camp Crystal Lake with Enos, who is the man who agreed to drive her. He warns her about the camp. He gets increasingly freaked out. So he starts by saying, fuck Ralph, don't listen to Ralph, or Ralph is full of it. As he's getting closer and closer to Camp Crystal Lake, you can see that he gets more and more nervous. Like his gut starts acting up in a way that eventually he can't even, he can't deny it. And so he then tells her, actually, you really shouldn't, you should turn around. I don't think that you should go. No one should be there. Just bad things happen there. He tells her about a boy that drowned in Crystal Lake the year before the two counselors were murdered. And so it was just this like awful succession of events. Annie dismisses these warnings. She's like, I'm going there to help kids. I'm going there to cook. I don't hear anything that you're saying. So... Enos drops her off and then she hitches one more ride to get her like final leg of the journey to Camp Crystal Lake. We see the car pull up. I think, is it a Jeep? I think so. Okay. It's a Jeep, I think. We think. She she gets into this car and basically Annie gets killed. We don't know exactly how, but we see the car speed past the exit for Camp Crystal Lake and Annie get more and more scared and then... She dies. Three of Steve's newly hired counselors, Ned, Jack, and Marcy, arrive at the camp and they meet Mr. Christie, as well as a few other counselors, Bill, Brenda, and Alice. She has a tense but a little bit clearly complicated relationship with Steve. It's clear that there's some romantic tension between them, but we never really learn exactly what their prior relationship is. She does express to him, though, right off the bat that she doesn't really want to be there. So she doesn't want to be there. They all begin refurbishing and setting up the camp without Annie. But they keep being like, where's Annie? Where's Annie? After a while, Steve heads into town, leaving everyone else behind to finish their little task to open up this place. They have a lot of repairs to do, a lot of prep before the kids show up. The teens eventually take a break and go swimming, where an unseen prowler watches them from the other side of the lake. Ned, the jokester of the bunch, pretends to drown only so that he can get mouth to mouth from one of the girls and then reveal that he actually just wanted to kiss her. (laughs) It's like such a bad prank on so many levels the the counselors start making lunch for themselves when a police officer arrives at the camp to warn them that to warn them that like ralph is just prowling around that's what they're warning yeah after the police officer leaves ralph 
jumps out. <laughs> he surprises Alice in the main cabin and warns her and the other counselors about the camp's death curse. All right, night begins to fall. Thunderstorm rolls in. Ned wanders off down the lake, down to the lake, and sees someone lurking in one of the cabins, and he goes to investigate. Jack and Marcy enter the same cabin to seek shelter from the incoming storm and have sex with each other. Jack is Kevin Bacon. That's all you need to know. And he looks like there's not a thought in his brain the whole time. Jack and Marcy enter the same cabin to seek shelter from the incoming storm and have sex, as I said, unaware that Ned is now lying on top the top bunk above them and his throat has been slashed. Whoa. Alice, Bill, and Brenda smoke pot and play strip Monopoly in the main cabin. It's really important to note that Alice does not remove any clothing. She stays good. She stays pure. She stays clean. Marcy and Jack finish having sex with each other, and Marcy leaves to go use the bathroom. <laughs> she goes to take, to take a shower. <laughs> okay. This says bathhouse, but I can't say bathhouse. <laughs> Ned's blood drips down onto Jack from the top bunk, but before Jack can investigate, he's murdered by an arrow through his neck from underneath the bed. The killer then follows Marcy. <laughs> Marcy, he follows Marcy to the bathhouses, the bathroom, where she also is murdered with an axe to the face. No pants on, thank God. It's raining so hard. It's picking up and Brenda leaves Bill and Alice to close the windows in her cabin. Meanwhile, Steve finishes up in town. He's stopping at a local diner and he decides to head back to camp only for his car to break down. He hitches a ride and he's given a lift back. I bet he wish wishes he had never hitched that ride because he's never going to ride, ride back to town again, if you know what I mean. So... When he gets back to the camp, he encounters someone who's flashing a light at him. And it's clear that he, like, recognizes the person. He says, what are you doing out here? Then he's stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> By the unseen killer. Back at camp, Brenda is lured out of her cabin by a strange childlike voice to the archery range. <laughs> yeah, when a storm is happening, I hear a strange childlike voice coming from the archery range. I'm running out there. So she's murdered there. She gets murdered. Her screams send Bill and Alice searching for Brenda and the others, but to no avail. They try to use the phones and the vehicles to discover none of them are working. The two decide to wait it out for Mr. Christie, Steve. I don't know why they keep calling him Mr. Christie. He's one year older than them. I don't know. Anyway, and Alice falls asleep in the main cabin. Bill leaves to check the generator in the shed. Alice wakes up and leaves to find him. And when she reaches the generator shed, she discovers Bill dead, pinned to the door of the shed with multiple arrows. She screams. She runs back to the main cabin, Alice. She barricades herself inside, arming herself. After it gets quiet, Brenda's body is hurled. <laughs> I forgot about this. When you barricade yourself, but your friend's body still comes flying through the window. <laughs> Yeah, she barricaded it stupid. <laughs> like, she barricaded it on the wrong side. <laughs> so it, the door opens out. <laughs> She's so, it's, yeah, all of these kids are just so hopeless. No, none of them are equipped to be there. All right. So Brenda's body is hurled through the window at Alice and headlights appear outside. 
Alice flees from the body. She runs outside thinking the headlights belong to Steve because he also has a Jeep. But a woman, dun dun dun, named Pamela, dun dun dun, Voorhees, dun dun dun, steps out of the vehicle. Have you heard that name before? Mrs. Voorhees? Allison shows Mrs. Voorhees what's happening. What happened? Oh, I should describe Mrs. Voorhees. She's this like, this kind of prototypical white lady mom in the suburbs in her mid 40s. She's wearing like you, not an inch of skin other than her face and her upper neck, like short cropped haircut, jowls. She looks like the type of person that in this era movies would use symbolically to portray like a safe person. So she shows Mrs. Voorhees the carnage and Mrs. Voorhees begins to comfort Alice. But eventually she begins ranting and raving about a young boy that drowned in 1957. She explains that that boy's name was Jason and that he was her son. And the Friday the 13th is his birthday. Mrs. Voorhees then becomes aggressive and proceeds to reveal herself as the killer seeking revenge on the counselors, the promiscuous counselors who let Jason drown by not watching him. She starts charging at Alice. Alice manages to fend off Mrs. Voorhees' crazed killer. They're fighting like girls. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? She tries to fight her. She manages to fend her off with a fireplace poker and she flees. Then Alice discovers Annie's body in Mrs. Voorhees' Jeep and Steve's body hanging from a tree. Allison runs to the boathouse where she finds a gun, but she can't find any bullets. Mrs. Voorhees enters the boathouse and overpowers Alice before Alice manages to strike her with the gun and flee once again. Alice runs back to the main cabin and hides in a closet. After a few moments of quiet, Mrs. Voorhees appears again and begins chopping through the door, the most effective way to open a door. She breaks inside, and Alice manages to hit her with a frying pan, knocking her unconscious. Alice is like, you. Thank God that's over. She's, I killed her. I killed her with one fell swoop. Classic overconfidence. She stumbles, Alice stumbles down to the lake and falls onto the shore, exhausted. But unfortunately, Mrs. Voorhees has not died. She was just rendered unconscious for a second. She shows up and she attacks again. They're rolling around on the beach, struggling with each other, fighting with each other. Alice manages to grab Mrs. Voorhees' machete, which I guess Mrs. Voorhees now has, and she decapitates her. Her head goes flying off. Alice is pretty traumatized so she climbs into a little canoe and she floats out into the middle of the lake where she believes she will be safe. Daylight comes, it's peaceful, she's floating on the lake, it's over. Police officers show up on the shore of the lake but before she can recognize them and call to them, I'm just going to read this directly. The decomposed body of young Jason Voorhees comes lunging out of the water, grabbing Alice and pulling her out of the canoe. Alice wakes up in a hospital and tries to explain to the the like nurse and the police officer that there was a boy out there. Like, And she's like, did you find him? Did you find the boy? And they're like, there is no boy. We didn't find a boy. It was just you. And the film ends with, Aunt, with Alice. <laughs> Annie's dead. With Alice saying... 
that he's still there with a lingering shot of the lake. If you're confused, don't worry. That's completely understandable. They did not really know where they were going through most of the movie. And I am also saddened to share that Alice only lives a couple more months because in the first five minutes of the next movie, she gets killed. The first five minutes, she doesn't even really get to participate. It's the first thing that happens in the movie is that she's like in an apartment alone where she's doing art to like process the trauma and Jason shows up and murders her. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Please listen to our conversation episode. Thanks for getting through this. Follow us. Email us. Subscribe. <laughs> Kiara says, love us. We can't ask that of them, Kiara. We can't. You can't ask someone to love you. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye.